0: she's sharp
1: pointed and insightful this is stacy on the right on american family radio and urban family talk now stacy washington
2: welcome to the program stacy washington host of stacy on the right here on american family radio and urban family talk it's so good to be with you on a Friday, the Friday after Sherathon. yes, wasn't it fantastic? What a wonderful week we've had! I loved all the guests we had on. I, I enjoyed um, getting a chance to hear the listener stories, and especially the clips that were put together that were historical pieces that featured the founder of American Family Association and American Family Radio, Don Wildman. Those were some fantastic clips. I'd never been to any of the speeches that he'd given live. And so it was such a wonderful treat to have those to share with you this week as we were doing share Today on the program, we're going to be speaking with Matt Taylor. He's the director of The Creepy Line. He's going to talk to us about how Google search and Facebook actually have the ability to use search results and their platform to manipulate the patterns of American voters to change their opinions to make them like or dislike something by simply tailoring the results of their search up to 12 million voters could be influenced for this fall's election which is in a, a, that's a stunning amount and far larger a threat than anything ever posed by Russian election meddling or and and something akin to what the Chinese try to do. They're much more covert and they're much more effective, uh, that far more effective than the Russians. So we'll be speaking with him in segment two. And then we'll be diving into a little bit of an update on the Mueller investigation, which is expected to be wrapped up sometime after the midterm. And Nikki Haley was on fire last night, uh, making some fun jokes at Elizabeth Warren's expense, and so we'll hear a little bit of audio on that. And obviously, we'll be talking about Nancy Pelosi making a statement that uh, if some Americans get caught up in and our collateral damage, well, that's okay. I, I'm, I, just, I. Every time I think no one's, no other elected official will come out and sanction this stuff. I guess they're just like, nope, hold, you know, hold, my, hold my soda can. I can definitely do better than that person. It's a race to the bottom. So right now I want to get into the daily confession, which is fantastic. It's straight from the word of God. I have two scriptures for you that dovetail into each other. The first one is Colossians 1, 13 through 14, which says, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, which is the forgiveness of sins. Isn't that some glorious, fantastic, awesome, amazing goodness that we're experiencing right now, that we can be rescued from the dominion of darkness and come into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, who is the propitiation of our sins. He is our redeemer. And through him, we have forgiveness, continual forgiveness. I, I just can't get enough of that. I can't get enough of knowing how much God loves us, that he chose to send his son to die for us on the cross. And then in that death and resurrection, we are redeemed and our redemption being that what makes us able to live victorious lives here through Christ and the ability to have forgiveness of our sins, because as, as people, we're going to sin, we're going to Um, fall short and that we can continually ask for forgiveness and receive it knowing that that is what, that's what God sent Jesus for to, to make sure that we could be forgiven. And we've had this issue since Adam and Eve fell in sin in the garden. And what we often will try to do is kind of an operation fig leaf where we try to cover up our sin. uh, We try to pretend there's no problem We'll run away from our sin and run away from God. But the provision that he has given us, which is that we can go to him and simply repent, turn away from our sin and be forgiven. That's the fastest way to what a lot of self-help books call change, uh, self-improvement. The fastest way to get any of those things done is to first, we have to examine ourselves, look at the sin that we're engaging in and then repent of it and turn away from it. And by continually doing that, we can effectively see God change us and sanctify us and move in us. And so the second verse I want to share is 2 Corinthians 5.17, which says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. So when we become in Christ by accepting him and asking him to come into our hearts and, and clean us and make us holy and to allow us to live for him, then we are new creation. We're new in Christ, which means we can then go forward knowing, okay, I'm I'm human. I'm going to stumble. I'm going to have mistakes, but in Christ, I can do all things. I will receive the mind of Christ. I will be redeemed and I can move forward knowing that when I stumble, I can request forgiveness and it will be given to me And the old is gone. It's past. It's behind me. I no longer have to be that person. I can be a new creation in Christ right here, right now. And I can walk in that. So we don't want to be stuck in the place where Eve was, where Eve, when asked by God, where are you? He asked Adam and Eve where they were. And they said, well, we're hiding because we're naked. (laughs) And he says, rhetorically speaking, because he's God, Who told you you were naked and they came out and really they wanted to explain themselves. But instead of saying, you know, we uh, we we messed up here. We totally messed up. They started rationalizing. Oh, you know, um, this woman you gave me, uh, she gave me from the tree and I ate, which indicates that perhaps he knew that the fruit he was getting was from the tree of knowledge of good and evil I'm sure that fruit didn't look like the other fruit they normally ate. He ate it anyway. He could have said, Nope, I'm not eating that. I, who've you been chatting with? This is not a good idea, but he just took it and ate it. She suggested he, he, he acquiesced. And for her, she blamed obviously the serpent, um, which the serpent was wily and cunning. And he did present to her a pretty interesting proposition that she could be like God, but her response should have been, Hey, I need to discuss this with my husband. And also, um, why are you trying to, you know, question what we've been given here? This is a fantastic place. Now, clearly, that was the humanity of both of them. And they're doing what humans do. This is what we all do. If you've ever had a child uh, of your own or, or dealt with children, you know that when they do something wrong, they'll say, well, but that's what all of the other kids were doing. So that's what I did. So they rationalize. And that's the same thing that Adam and Eve did. And that's the same thing that we as adults will will sometimes do, searching for a way to kind of justify the wrong that we might've engaged in. And so it's it's a human failing, but God has an answer for that. And his answer is, it's examination, repentance, and then, because repent means to turn away, after we turn away, then we're charting a new path and we're relying even more on our Heavenly Father to help us to make those changes. And it's a struggle. It's if, if you're dealing with anything in your life, and we all are, something that you just are so annoyed with yourself that you do and you want to stop or change your behavior, it can be the hardest thing, changing the way that you live on a daily basis or changing a habit that's become ingrained that you're like, you know what? This isn't for me. It's not right. It's it's not whatever the case might be. could be something small. It could be something huge. It it really, all of the small things become huge things because if you can't master it quickly, it it becomes a stumbling block. But God's answer to that is that he's rescued us. Um, We are no longer in the dominion of darkness. We are now in the kingdom of God's son. And we are able, able to... um, do so much more in Christ than we could ever do outside of him. And we are new creations. The old is gone the new is here. And in that we have a lot of, uh, it gives us confidence. It gives us rest and it makes us, it makes us more cognizant of the relationship, which I'm, I'm just so grateful for what God has done for us and that we get to, and here in America, especially we're free. We're able to, um, we're really able to appreciate what God has done for us. And we're able to live for him freely and openly. And And we've got to acknowledge that and have gratitude for it and be uh, all the more thankful for it. And so that's the daily confession today. Those two verses, if you're looking for the scripture to look up for yourself, it's Colossians 1, 13 through 14 and 2 Corinthians five seventeen. 17. Um, and I hope you're encouraged by that. So now I want to turn to one quick story before we hit the break. And it's about lies that pro-choice politicians tell. So we what we have going on, honestly, is this, um, it's a war over the sacrifice of human babies in the womb. And that sacrifice being something that is done on the altar of sexual convenience. So people want to have their cake and eat it too. Humans don't want to save uh, sexual relations for marriage. And so in, in lieu of doing that, because the purpose of being intimate with between men and women is, is to procreate, in order to avoid that, we have had ever-increasing levels of what we call contraception. And so I'm not for or against contraception, but abortion is not contraception. There's a huge difference. And so I want to go over a few of the lies that people who call themselves pro-choice often tell, and the reason that they tell these lies is because it helps to promote the cause of taxpayer-funded abortion on demand. Now, This list is from Kristen Hawkins, and she has a a tour that she's on, a speaking tour that is going all over the country to college campuses. And what she does in the speaking tour, it's called Lies Pro-Choice Politicians Tell, she addresses the political spin of the abortion industry, but she's doing it with students. And the reason this is so important is because kids are indoctrinated starting in a now grade school in their sex ed classes that first of all, Planned Parenthood's your friend, they'll give you things your parents won't give you. They understand you. They're no judge. They're not religious. All they want to do is make sure that you as a sexual human animal are able to be free to be sexually active. And, Not all kids buy into this, but definitely it's a problem that they're in our K through 12 public schools. And so the first lie that uh, these pro-choice politicians tell is that seven in 10 people support Roe v. Wade. And this lie comes straight from Planned Parenthood and the National Association of Reproductive, blah, 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 NARAL. Now, the polling doesn't back this lie up. A 2013 poll found that 60 percent of people could correctly describe Roe v. Wade as striking down state level abortion regulations because that's what it does. Most people think it's much more far reaching than that. Many people think overturning Roe v. Wade would make abortion illegal instead of returning the issue back to state governments. And we've gone over that on the show many times before, but it's, it's worth saying again, if you're new to the show or just tuning in now, welcome We don't always talk about abortion, but when we do, we talk in facts. And the fact is the constitutionality of abortion simply removed the right of states to regulate abortion in ways that their voters and constituents cared to regulate it. If Roe v. Wade is overturned at the Supreme Court level, it doesn't outlaw abortion. It simply says certain states might say no abortion here. Other states might say abortion on demand all the time, taxpayer funded, and people would have the right to move and live in states that had laws that more closely reflected their personal beliefs. Now, a lot of people were misinformed in that poll about what it did. Now, in that poll, only 12% of people agreed with the Democrat National Committee stance that abortion should be allowed at any time for any reason and at taxpayer expense. 12% Democrats and Hardcore abortion supporters would have you believe that over 90 percent of Americans want on demand at any time, any place, any reason taxpayer funded abortion. But only in reality, it's only 12 percent. The second lie is that most people support funding Planned Parenthood with taxpayer dollars, which is not true. And women need abortion to succeed. That's lie number three which is utterly ludicrous, but it's something that's peddled to our kids and our young adults on the regular. When we get back, we're going to have a little bit of audio for you and the remainder of this hour. You stay right there. It's Stacy on the right.
0: Maybe you've been hearing the messages from Preborn asking listeners to join together to help save babies' lives through ultrasound, and you're not sure how to respond. Here's the story of one woman who took that step. I heard about Mission Preborn just before December of last year and asked my husband if we could give at least 140 Just last week, we received our packet. My husband came in the house, and he was telling me, This is our pre-born packet, the ultrasounds. I started crying without even seeing them. Not only were there five babies, but one of the moms was having twins. We were just elated for that. For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds, and you'll receive a story and a picture of babies' lives that were spared. All gifts are tax-deductible, and 100% of your sponsorship goes to saving babies. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword, baby, or go to preborn.com.
1: Hi, I'm Crawford Luritz with a Legacy Moment. Some of the godliest people I've known have lived lives of suffering. Some time ago, I attended the memorial service of my good friend, Dean Hertzler. Dean and his dear wife, Janet, lost a son to cancer, and in the last years of Dean's life, he suffered from ALS, or Lou Gehrig's disease. But through it all, Dean exhibited an amazing amount of joy. Just because you suffer doesn't mean something is wrong with your life. God does what he wants to do in us, and sometimes that includes suffering. There's a whole book of the Bible, the book of Job, about suffering. Listen to Job chapter 1, verses 8, 12, and 21. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Now, verse 12, then the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. In verse 21, and he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Notice that Job's suffering was not because he had done something wrong. God gave permission to Satan to afflict Job within certain limitations. Suffering takes place in the Christian life, but in the midst of it all, we, like Job, can praise God for what he's doing and not necessarily blame ourselves for things we have not done. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. If you're suffering, you're in good company. Some of God's choicest servants have spent time in the crucible of affliction. God has not forsaken
3: you. He is with you. Legacy Moment with Crawford Loritz is produced by Moody Radio, the Ministry of Moody Global Ministries. For more information, go to livingalegacy.org.
0: Welcome back
1: to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family
4: Talk.
2: Welcome back to the program everybody. It's Stacy Washington and we have been so excited, I can't talk about it enough, how well we did for Shareathon this year. It's just been so exciting for Fall Shareathon to be such a huge success. And we have to say thank you to you, the listeners. You guys really came in and showed out and we're so grateful. Right now it's my pleasure to welcome this is a fantastic interview and I was so excited to get to have this person come in and join us today. His name is Matt Taylor, and he is the director of this new documentary available on Amazon, iTunes, and internationally called The Creepy Line. Thank you so much for joining us today, Matt.
0: Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to be here.
2: So let's talk about this. Um, This is a new documentary available online and everywhere. You're doing a lot of media surrounding, you know, basically getting the word out that people should watch this. You directed and co-wrote this film, which offers a disturbing look into the mass surveillance of billions of users by Google and Facebook. Why did you decide to do this?
0: Well, you know, I'm a huge fan of technology. You know, I watched the rise of both Google and in the early years, Facebook as well. And, you know, I thought they did a lot of great things in the early days by providing information and connecting us. But in the last couple of years, you know, they've been caught doing some very, you know, unethical um, type maneuvers uh, with their their customers. And we felt that it was important to kind of look under the hood. And uh, what we discovered was very disturbing, especially when it comes to undermining democracy. So
2: let's let's. uh... Okay, so I'm I'm one of those people. I'm a Facebook user. And I was kind of late coming on, like a lot of people got on the first or second year. I definitely, every friend I knew had Facebook before I joined. But then I got on, and I really found it was super, super convenient for me, and there was a lot of fun to be had there. And so I really dove in, you know, and, and used it a lot, as many, many hundreds of millions of Americans have done. But in your documentary... You're talking about the research conducted by Dr. Robert Epstein. He's a behavioral psychologist. He was B.F. Skinner's last Ph.D. student at Harvard and a 2016 Hillary Clinton supporter. And he has discovered the search engine manipulation effect. What's that?
0: So the search engine manipulation effect is how the Google search engine actually functions to push your opinion in one way or another. And the way it basically works is that Google has three primary kind of manipulations that they're doing uh, as you use the engine. So one of the things is that we use the engine most of the time to look for kind of rope facts. So what is the capital of Kansas? And, you know, that comes back, back to Pika. So we are conditioned to think the thing at the top and the things that are served, you know, at the very top of the page and the first page are true. So what Google can do is in those auto-search, auto-fills, as you start typing the word, is they can actually make suggestions to push your opinion in one way or another. So if I'm looking for candidate A um, versus candidate B, if I type in candidate A, it can give positive suggestions for candidate A, which will bring back, guess what, positive results. But if they leave negative results for candidate B, it will only bring back negative results. So this is a way that a search engine can shift your opinion uh, in one way or another without you actually knowing. And that's what he discovered when he started doing his research with the Google search engine.
2: So does this happen if you're using DuckDuckGo or Bing, or is it just Google?
0: Well, DuckDuckGo is an aggregator. And Bing, on the other hand, and also search engines like Yahoo, um, in a lot of ways are also pulling from Google indexes as well. So if you use Yahoo, Yahoo is looking at Google's quarantine list, which is a list of websites Google does not want you to go to. Um, so, so you're kind of still on Google in a lot of ways. Same with if you use Apple Mail. sits on a Google server. So you're still kind of going through Google's system. And that's kind of the issue here with a lot of users. They don't know that Google um, is in a lot of other things because, you know, they're really good at what they do. Um, they are the best. And so a lot of services, I heard even Siri may refer to some Google searches. You know, so that, that they're kind of everywhere in places you don't even know.
2: Okay. (laughs) So Google is like the cranberry juice of breakfast juices. You know how cranberry juice is in apple juice? It's in orange juice. It's in pineapple juice. Mm -hmm. It's in every juice. It's like the one guy who does the best marketing for juices is the cranberry juice guy. He gets his juice into all the other juices. That's what Google is like. It's in all the other things. So what are the search engines? If you want to use one that's free of Google's influences, is there one there? To use.
0: right now there's not really a lot of alternatives um, you know Google controls 90% of search in the world um, there are alternatives to say email or messaging there are alternatives to mapping even uh, to an extent though you know Apple Maps is not nearly as good as Google Maps um, mm-hmm. but the search engine is a harder one there's start page there's DuckDuckGo. Um, but again the thing is is that the reason Google works so well is because they've collected your data, to give you better results for you, and so we are kind of in a weird conundrum where, by removing that, you may not get the best results or results you want. Um, as you know, we we've tried, we've tested, uh, we've moved to other things, and at the end of the day, Google still gives the best results.
2: But so I don't use Google anymore because I I read some other stories about their surveillance, not not nearly as in depth as what you're sharing, but I read some other stories, and and my my feeling was. I already have, so I have Gmail and I have the other things like Facebook. And so I felt like if I could just have search that wasn't by them. So that means I really haven't been doing that because I use Bing. So that means I'm still using Google. Um, and if there isn't an alternative, and they're so big and they're in everything that most people would prefer to use them, what's the answer?
0: Well, this is the this is the conundrum because you know right now there aren't a lot of answers. I mean, people are hoping that regulatory reform break them up or slap antitrust on them. But these are really 20th century solutions for 20th century companies. And these are 21st century companies we're dealing with. You know, the companies in the past sold phones and windows and things like that. These are companies where we are the product. And so in order to really separate ourselves from them, it's going to require some new solutions, which I don't think we've fully thought through yet. You know, and I think that people can start by being more skeptical of returns. They cannot use Android. They cannot use Gmail. They Cannot use, um, you know, uh, Google Maps. You know, or or any of the other surve- These are surveillance platforms, is what they are. So that's really kind of what you know should people should start with, while you know the government and other people start working Because right now in the EU, they take it very seriously, but their solutions are also somewhat damaging um so we have to be very careful and take a lot of precautions because remember they're not just in in our lives they're in government they're in transportation they're in your car's gps and by breaking a company up like that you could cause a lot of damage across our economy and uh, services that you use every day
2: so i guess what i'm getting from this and correct me if i'm wrong matt but are you kind of saying that um we we might need to not get the perfect search result back. Like sometimes you have to take something that's not exactly what you want, but if it helps you to maintain your personal integrity and your, your ability to have privacy, that it might be better that I need to search a few more websites, maybe not get the perfect search results back every single time within two seconds in order to kind of trade off.
0: Well, in a way, I mean, the question comes down to, you know, are you actually getting the best search results right now? Because here's the thing. If they are, in fact, manipulating people and pushing them in the directions they want to go, then I would argue then you're not actually getting the best search results. Um, you're getting the results they want. That really is kind of the, the primary issue here. I mean, you know, I can get facts, um, facts are facts. And they can tell me all the facts in the world. You know, they can tell me what the best soda is or things like that. Um, but the, when they have an agenda... Well, then they're pushing you in another direction. And so that that question of, is it better to get results that are less accurate? The question is, what is accurate? And if it's Google's accuracy, um, I would say that, yeah, it's probably worth not getting their results all the time to have more privacy and more independence and more freedom.
2: Okay. So now um, you had Peter Schweizer, who was a co-writer and producer of The Creepy Line, and he discovered the research And he talked about the the fact that Google actually touts its ability to spread its values and saying that they're they're the the employees actually discuss how the platform can influence policy and elections. This sounds to me because of the reach that it has as if it's bigger than the Russian influence or the much more insidious Chinese attempts to influence our elections. Am I right?
0: Well, absolutely. I mean, look, if we go with the narrative with Russia um, and, oh, they bought ads on Facebook or they spent $200,000 in ads. I mean, if if $200,000 could sway an election, then anybody who spends a million dollars should be able to buy an election every year. You know, so that doesn't seem to be really kind of a, a great argument. What these guys could do is they could do it invisible. They could do it without you seeing it. You don't even know what's happening with, with the, you know, the term fake news, which is going around a lot. You know, you you can see the ads, you can see them, and you can see the stories, and you can choose to not read them, you can choose to not believe them. But with what Google and Facebook do, you just don't know. You have no idea. You don't know if you're getting the best results. You don't know if those are are accurate results. You don't know which way they're pushing your opinion because there's no transparency in how they operate. There's no transparency in what they're up to. And everything we know about their worldview is all in leaks. Um, and these leaks are very disturbing. The things they say are very disturbing for a company that's so large and in so many sectors of our life, you know. So I would say that ultimately, you know, we have to, again, we have to be skeptical. And remember, we are the gasoline for their engines. The more we use them, the more power we give them.
2: Oh, wow. Okay, so it's that's a little depressing, Matt, but I'm not going to leave that on <laughs> Debbie Downerville. I, I, one more quote from Dr. Epstein. He says... This becomes even more dangerous as we progress from searches to simply seeking answers from our devices where only one result is presented. Through continuous research, Dr. Epstein also found that Google and Facebook could influence 12 million votes in this fall's elections. That's tremendous power in the hands of two companies, and it should concern us all, regardless of political affiliation. I can't echo that sentiment enough. I feel like, you know, even though I'm Stacy on the right and I don't know your politics and that's not important for this interview... What is important is that you and I as Americans, you have every right to vote the way you want and not be unduly swayed without your knowledge, just like I do. And the rest of the 320 some odd million Americans, we all have that right. And my sincere hope is that everyone will go to Amazon, iTunes, iTunes internationally search around we, we have a huge audience all over the place if you're listening to this you are the target audience for this documentary the name of it is the creepy line it's now available on amazon itunes and internationally watch it with a group of friends brainstorm some ideas and then barnstorm the phones and email boxes of your legislative leaders let them know your senator your uh, representative in the house that you want something done about this not along partisan lines but because Americans deserve freedom on the internet as well as everywhere else, uh, it, I thank you so much for doing this work, Matt. Amazing.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah, I, I just hope everybody just gets, you know, is more skeptical and prepares themselves because you know these companies are on the move. Mm.
2: Well, without uh, the watchdogs like you, we wouldn't know that. So, thank you for doing the documentary and for joining us today on Stacey on the Right.
0: My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
2: All right. Thanks, Matt. Um, and that was Matt Taylor. He's a film director, Washington, Washington University graduate. And um, he used to actually, in, interesting fact, he used to live in St. Louis. And so uh, he spent part of his high school years and then his college years going to Wash U here in St. Louis. And he lived in the Central West End and West County, which I live in West County. And then he um, moved to a couple of other places and he's now landed in New York. And when we were chatting in our little kind of pre-interview, we just talked for a couple minutes, um, he was saying that um, New York City just recently had their, they had no shootings over the weekend. That was last weekend. And so now they're kind of touting that they're the safest major city in the entire country, Um, especially when other cities such as St. Louis and Baltimore and Chicago have multiple shootings every weekend. And so we were talking about that and how different that is from just 10 years ago uh, or 15 years ago. And that's a huge accomplishment for New York. And I don't usually heap praises upon New York City, but I definitely feel like, uh, you know, it's wor- worth noting that they were able to get that done. And so I I think right now would be a great time with just a few minutes left in this segment. Um, I wanted to go over this. I, I had this story that I found earlier in the week. And um, well, first of all, before we get to, to any stories or any news this was a fantastic week for Sherifon for American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. And it was my first one on the larger network since the show has been picked up and I really felt a lot of pressure for getting the job done and doing a, a good job in getting the number out because really all I can do is say hey hey here's where you call, here's where you go online and then the listeners respond and I was praying about it, and I have to say, God gets the glory here for a wonderful share-a-thon. my first one at the AFR level, but definitely a wonderful fall share-a-thon. And so Jim Stanley, and Chris Woodward, and Dr. Alex McFarland, and uh, we we had Will Addison on yesterday, general manager of Urban Family Talk, Fred Jackson, um, Jeff Chambly, who is the director of American Family Studios. Um, we had Randall Murphy who came on uh, on the first day of Sheraton and he chatted with us and he's from the AFA journal. We pretty much touched as as much as we could every area of American Family Radio and American Family Association and next Sheraton I hope to speak with um, a few of the hosts or maybe beforehand to chat with them about um just the same kind of things we chatted about with with all of our wonderful guests this week. So it was such a pleasure. I just wanted to be on the record and say thank you to our listening audience online and terrestrially on our traditional stations, which is the bulk of our audience. Everybody, thank you so much. It was such a wonderful week. Um, So we'll be back with more Stacy on the right, right after this. Keep it here. I just, God for the Holy Ghost. If you will let him, he really will teach you all things. Have you ever made an excuse to someone why you were unable to do something or why you couldn't attend a certain event instead of just being honest and telling them you just were not interested? I think many of us have. Well, that's lying. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 17 says, an honest witness tells the truth. A false witness tells lies. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1 in one translation says, dishonesty and business disgusts the It disgusts God. But fair dealing delights him. False witness utters lies. Be faithful and consistent with being honest with others. Stop with the excuses and be truthful. There is freedom when our integrity and character reflects our Savior, Jesus Christ. What seems little to us are big to him. With our heart for the Urban Family, I'm today's Urban Woman, Victory McIntosh. Connect with us more at urbanfamilytalk.com.
4: Newburn
3: Bern is a, a wonderful uh, small town. We are one of many communities that was devastated, uh, seriously injured by Hurricane
2: Florence. I had five and a half feet of water in my house. It's been it's been really sad. Eight Days of Hope needs volunteers
1: in New Bern, North
2: Carolina. I
3: mean, I had no hope three days ago. I walked around in circles and I didn't know what to do
4: and where to go and, and then these volunteers came.
1: Come be the hands and feet of Jesus with Eight Days of Hope. Visit eightdaysofhope.com.
3: With Eight Days of Hope coming in, it gives those families hope where mom and dad can get back to work and the kids can get back to school. And and that's all we have right now is hope. I've seen a lot of people posting things on Facebook saying, I wish I could do something. Call Eight Days of Hope and give people hope just the way they're giving us hope. Eight
1: Eightdaysofhope.com. Securing America.
4: Cyber attacks are not just a problem for government officials. What are you doing to protect yourself? It's National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, and Paul Benda, Senior Vice President of Risk and Cybersecurity Policy with the American Bankers Association, says when it comes to protecting your money, it pays to be proactive with your banker.
0: Banks recognize when people are taking an active role in trying to protect their account and their information. And, that, and they're going to give you the benefit of the doubt.
4: Benda says, go ahead, use those mobile banking apps as long as your phone is protected.
0: They've got encrypted comms between yourself and the bank, so you, you know that, that communication's secure. Uh, they know that it's your phone that's accessing your account. And so they've got great ways to know that it's you that's actually actually accessing that account.
4: According to the 2017 Norton Cybersecurity Insights Report, 143 million Americans were victims of cybercrime, more than half of the country's adult online population, with losses topping $19 billion. In Washington, Rachel Sutherland, Fox News.
1: Welcome back to Spacey on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
3: So where it's going in my uh, informed opinion as a prosecutor is that it's winding down. I have watched closely what's been happening And if you look at what the special counsel's office is doing, it's staffing down. Folks that are working with the special counsel team are leaving and going back to the offices from which they were detailed. At the same time, the special counsel is outsourcing and delegating investigative matters back to component agencies or component compartments within the Department of Justice and the U.S. Attorney's Office. All of that signals a winding down and is consistent with the special counsel indicating that it will accept now Written answers from Donald Trump's lawyers about all matters collusion related Mm. to obstruction of justice related. I think at the end of the day, Maria, where we are headed here is no charges for collusion or obstruction with anyone associated with the Trump campaign, but a report from Bob Mueller outlining perhaps some questionable conduct. And we'll be left arguing with our Democratic colleagues whether that rises to an impeachable offense, even if it's not criminal in nature.
2: Wow. Welcome back to the show. Uh, that was Representative John Ratcliffe talking about the Mueller investigation and how it's wrapping up. I I think it's interesting um, that the investigation is receiving so little media attention at this point. I mean, it's it's honestly just like um, it's not going on anymore. And the reason, just you know, allow me to kind of work through this just for a couple seconds here. I believe the reason we're not hearing about it constantly day and night is because people are finally settling into the fact that there wasn't any collusion that the Trump team did not collude with Russians. And I kind of feel, you know, a a sense of sadness for those who simply because they were working for the Trump administration or the Trump campaign, I should say, were placed under that additional scrutiny. Now, you know, if they broke the law, um, you know, you know how the Bible says everything done in secret will come to light and you can't get away with anything, essentially. um, Then, then you know, th- this is the way that they're brought to justice. But it, it is unfortunate that there have been so many other casualties, collateral damage, if you will, uh, in this process. Mainly just guilt by association. And that is... That's not the way America is supposed to work. And sometimes when I say that, you know, I don't want it to veer off into like hero worship of America or the elevation of America beyond what is humanly possible, but we do have the rule of law here and it's under constant assault. And, and it's just, as I've said so many times before, when you set that boulder up to roll down on your brother, we're, that's the situation here. We're all citizens of America, all brothers here in this great experiment. But specifically when you set the boulder up to roll down on someone intentionally to entrap them or snare them, it's actually going to roll down on you. And so while we don't see a lot of prosecution of certain really high value individuals like the Clintons, they cannot escape the boulder that they set up for Donald Trump rolling back on them the bible does not lie it god is not a man that he could just you know up suddenly the rules and tenets of the bible just don't apply they don't apply to the clintons nope it's going to happen so while we might you know and we do sometimes we get into a little bit of levity here on the show and we laugh and we say oh you know what you know, what's so funny is that the Clintons are still running around. He's running around on his private planes with the, you know, untoward un, types. And she's still running around in those house dresses and, you know, $12,000 dresses that look like a house coat. And she's still living large. And she is. But no one escapes the consequences of their actions, which is a cautionary tale for all of us. If we think we're getting away with something, we're not. If we think we're doing something and that there will never be a repercussion for it, we're wrong. So I want to give you a little bit more information. There's there's a congressional testimony on tap. Um, it looks like James Baker testifies today. Nellie Orr uh, comes in on... Actually, I'm sorry. Let me correct. James Baker testified yesterday. And Nellie Orr is testifying today. And so... It looks like James Baker informed the committee of his contacts with Michael Sussman, who was a lawyer representing the DNC and Clinton campaign and the objectives of using opposition research provided by the DNC as evidence to support a politically motivated FBI investigation. So that was his previous testimony. And James Baker, uh, just for the record, he's an FBI chief legal counsel, and that was the reason that he appeared before the joint committee in Congress yesterday, that was his second round of questioning. And uh, Nellie Orr is scheduled to appear today. So Nellie Orr was hired by Glenn Simpson, a Fusion GPS to coordinate with another subcontractor for the writing of opposition research, which became known as the Steele dossier. The information provided by the DNC through Sussman Like that information, the Steele dossier was also used as evidence by the FBI against their political target, Donald Trump. So the latest development now has Attorney General Rod Rosenstein agreeing to a very limited and very controlled interview by only the chairman of the joint committee, which is actually scheduled to happen on October 24th. So there's another development. Goodlatte and Gowdy have announced details of a transcribed interview with Rosenstein, House Judiciary Committee Chairman Bob Goodlott, and he's a Republican from Virginia, House Oversight and Government Reform Committee Chairman Trey Gowdy, Republican, South Carolina. They've both announced that Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein will appear on October 24th, 2018, for a transcribed interview conducted by Chairman Goodlott and Gowdy and ranking members Jerry Nadler and Elijah Cummings. So it'll be a bipartisan transcribed interview. The court reporter will be present to record all questions asked and answers provided. The interview will be under oath. Ding, ding, ding. Start of another round. And the intelligence community will review the transcript to avoid the public dissemination of classified or otherwise protected information. Once that review is completed, the transcript will be publicly available. What? What? pretty interesting right so the interview will be conducted in a secure setting so all relevant questions can be asked and answered without regard to classification and present for the interview two chairman two ranking members deputy AG uh, Rosenstein and a court reporter mm-hmm. oh yeah that's some pretty good stuff and what I'm interested in in hearing in addition to that because when they release the transcript there will be a lot of people who read it and interpret it if you if you know what I mean they will literally, interpret the the transcript and put their spin on it and put it out there. What I'm interested to see is how Nellie Orr, who's clearly a leftist operative, how she spends her testimony and spends the questions, her answers to the questions, in such a way as to give sound bites to media organizations who are going to actually review the transcript as well and either call it a nothing burger because it doesn't give them anything or use it extensively and like a hammer to beat down the uh, the basically the innocence of the Trump campaign members and President Trump himself. That's going to happen. And so remember this, just let this kind of percolate in the back of your mind that when this testimony is given and after the review by the FBI, then the transcript is going to be released and whatever isn't redacted will then be used by media operatives that work for the left to make it appear as if there really is something onerous and untoward that's on the horizon. And just after the election, we're then going to have the evidence needed to impeach Donald Trump, which has not yet materialized. Remember, this has been going on for, what, over a year now? They still haven't found anything? The nature of bombshells is that when they're discovered, they're not able to keep the information inside. So if there was some smoking gun, if there was some bombshell of information that the president had done something You'd best believe it would be out there leaked and the leftists in the media would be dancing on their cloven hooves around the little hot fires in, in joy with glee. They would be, but they're not. So as I said before, I've said it a few times, scratch a scandal, find a Democrat. Also, where's the collusion? Where is it? So now I want to turn to last night. There was um, ladies of Liberty had a dinner and Nikki Haley Was there as the keynote, and this is a fundraiser, and she is just in rare form here. You can tell she's kind of tossing off the the weightiness of her uh, her her current position, and you know, almost ten years of work in the public sphere, and she's got short itis, and she's funny here. She has on evening attire. She looks gorgeous. I watched the video and. Here she is talking about them asking her to speak at the dinner. And she cracks a joke about Elizabeth Warren. It's fantastic. Number two.
4: Last year, you went with Paul Ryan, who's a Boy Scout. And that's fine, but a little boring. (laughs) So this year, you wanted to spice things up again, right? I get it. You wanted an Indian woman. But Elizabeth Warren failed her DNA test. (laughs)
2: So that's in reference to the fact that Elizabeth Warren is one 1,024th Indian, at least, which puts her in line with almost 100% of other white people in America who have at least one 1,024th American Indian heritage in their background. At most... She has, you know, a hair more than that. So ever since the announcement of Elizabeth Warren's DNA test came, which some people are calling the biggest, the best self-owned in the history of this country, um, people have been outing themselves as being part Indian. I mean, even within my own social circles, people that I, I can, honestly, they do not look like they have any kind of mixing at all. They look utterly Caucasian, um, are saying that they have 4% of their ancestry is from American Indians and they know this because they've sent their DNA off to 23andMe like years before. So before this was a story, obviously. Myself, I know that I have some uh, American Indian uh, ancestry because I have a picture of my mom with her grandma and this woman looks like a full-blooded Indian. In the picture, she literally has the straight hair parted down the middle. It's down to her waist. And this is my mom and my mom's twin sister, and they were just toddlers, and she was holding them one in each arm, and that's my great-grandmother. So technically speaking, I am more Indian than Elizabeth Warren. Verifiably so. I also have done that DNA testing thing, and um, I'm not outing myself for percentages, but I definitely have the heritage there, as most Americans do. Unless you're a recent immigrant, we talked about this before with... uh, With Ann Coulter, who was kind enough to come on the show a second time to discuss just this topic, which is the shared blood history of Americans due to the fact that American Indians and blacks who were brought here as slaves and free blacks and whites have intermingled through marriage, through the dastardly and really sickening history of of slavery. All of this is a part of our history, and it, it means that we are one people group. And so as painful as the knowledge of what happened in slavery is for us, we came past that. We spilled the blood of slave and free North and South, all Americans, even though slaves weren't considered Americans at that time spilled blood to keep this one country under God. And so what makes this, this ridiculous spectacle of Elizabeth Warren trying to prove to all of us that she's some kind of American Indian in disguise. What makes it so ridiculous is that it is of no consequence, except that it proves that she is the kind of person who will lie to get extra benefits when she's going for a job. She was only an American Indian when it was convenient to her because it served her purposes for getting a job at Harvard. This really isn't about her loving American Indians or really wanting to be a member of a tribe or secretly coveting a big fat mansion located on a reservation. It has nothing to do with that. And all of this coincides with another story where she's basically plotting with lobbyists to put together this. um, It's a it's a gambling. um, So the reservations are allowed to have gambling in their state and they're, they're the ones who have to be in charge of it and she wants another gambling spot in her state, which would compete with the gambling spots in the other states that are adjacent to her. And everyone's saying, no, we don't want this, but she's doing it because lobbyists are paying her to do it. Elizabeth Warren, who wrote the two income trap, Elizabeth Warren, who said that families should really prioritize, you know, moms staying home to raise kids because Oftentimes, the second income only serves to increase the taxes that you pay and increase spending, but it doesn't provide a real tangible benefit. The good old Elizabeth Warren that I used to actually respect, whose book I have, I still have that book, Two Income Trap, on my shelf. Yeah, that woman. She's been completely ruined by politics. The lust for power and control over other people and the insatiable thirst for money. And, and I'm saying this as a dyed capitalist. I like to work for money. I like to earn it. But there's no way I would ever go to the lengths that she's gone to. That's the show. What's going on here? Okay. We'll be back with you on Monday. God bless you from the heartland. Citizens, enjoy your weekend.